Hello and welcome to another episode of the Perception Podcast with me, your host, Caroline Partridge. Today, I talk to the inspirational Hayley Johnson, who is an experienced employment lawyer and senior associate at Morton Fraser in Edinburgh. In this episode, Hayley recounts the tragedy that drove her decision to embark on a career in law and exposes the early shocking discrimination that she herself faced, having an accent and background that didn't fit the perceived notion of a law student. We discuss how employer assumptions can lead to discrimination and what elements are integral to a rewarding and happy employment relationship. Please join me as we look at our work life through a different lens. Hello and welcome, Hayley. Thank you so much for coming on to the Perception podcast today. Uh, it's great to no have worries. you here. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so now, um, as I said in the introduction, you're an employment lawyer and you, um, uh, you work with, your clients are mainly people who have suffered discrimination at work. Um, and and what first attracted me to kind of you and your story is the is the um discrimination that you suffered yourself in terms of uh your your journey into law in terms of your uh, uh in terms of your journey um and your journey through the early part of your career yeah so I guess I'm not a traditional lawyer in that my mum and dad both left school at 16. Um, So nobody had even stayed on for A-levels before I did. Um, And I grew up in in a great community um, that was a mining town just outside of Leeds, um, Garforth, but which at the time I grew up there, I think regularly used to feature on kind of the top 10 chav towns in the in the UK. Um, I had uh, some some excellent Adidas and Kappa tracksuits and a few <laughs> fakes kind of growing up. It was classic kind of 90s um, experience. And I absolutely loved my upbringing. From my perspective, I didn't feel like I was in any way underprivileged, but you you would very much, an outsider would regard kind of um, coming from that background or going to state school and maybe not having um, family peers or anyone around me who I maybe knew were doing any professions uh, as not a natural uh, lawyer to be. So certainly when I when I first said I wanted to be a lawyer, I remember my dad saying I didn't want to do that because they were all insert swear word here. Um, <laughs> from, from his perspective, he wasn't immediately encouraged. And even at the outset, if you're from that kind of background, immediately it's just things like, well, how do you get work experience? You, your mum and dad don't have friends who are are lawyers you know my dad's friends were builders um and my mum's friends worked in a in a kind of learning support environment for a higher education college it's just it's just completely different you feel a little bit sometimes like you're banging your head against a brick wall Uh, but in in terms of the discrimination I faced 
I don't think I was aware I would face discrimination mm. as long as I worked hard and got the grades until the first week I went to university. And then I got the grades and got into the University of Leicester to do law. And and on my first day, I got to my lecture early because I was so excited at being the, given the opportunity to attend a law lecture, uh, which I realized is incredibly sad. But I've always been of the geek variety and, and I'm, I'm very honest in that regard to describe myself as that. And, and and there was another guy and girl who were also similarly early and they spoke to me and introduced themselves. And then when I opened my mouth and said, oh, yeah, hi, I'm Haley. I'm I'm from Leeds. Uh, one of them just said, oh, sorry, I didn't realize you spoke like that. And then they kind of walked off slightly and left me alone and that was it I hadn't made friends on my first day and I must say since then my accent's very much evolved because I've lived in Scotland for nearly 15 years um so I I now have a real hybrid mix of kind of English Yorkshire Scottish going on but back then I was very much a Yorkshire lass and and I had no idea that how you spoke could kind of impact on whether or not people wanted to befriend you when you were a first-year law student until that point. So that was kind of the first time I saw it, I think, Caroline. Oh, my God. My mouth dropped open when... I'm just... How long ago was this, if you don't mind me asking? I was... I I started uni in 2002. So that was 2002. And and I did end up making some good friends on my course. Um, But and this is so one of my good friends that I made on my course, who still remains a very good friend of mine, but she now lives in the state. She'll probably listen to this at some stage. So she'll appreciate the story. She was one of my best friends at uni, but her dad uh, was quite well-to-do and she was from a much more well-to-do background than me. And when he first came to visit her at university near Christmas time, she took out two of our friends and him for dinner. But she said it was best if I didn't go because she was worried when he heard how I spoke that he would worry that she was mixing with the wrong people. Um, so this, and this is someone I'm still friends with now who obviously over the years when she got to know me better and who I was and what I stood for and the kind of things I was trying to achieve, I think switched from being wary of introducing me to others to wanting to introduce me to everybody. But but that's how our friendship started. I was very much to be kind of a, a hidden friend. Oh, my God. Hey, uh, you say, so it was... 2001 so it's only 2002 2002 so it's only just over 20 years ago where I'm sitting here and thinking it sounds like 1900 house do you know what I mean it's just so it's so it's so mind-boggling because okay look you know I understand coming from an acting background I understand there are lots of stories where people have been, you know, actors have had to change their voices to RP to, you know, to be accepted on uh, television programs, et cetera. But that has changed a lot in the last, you know, uh, in the last probably 30 years, actually. 
But um, yeah. I just, I just find the, I just, <laughs> I am a bit shocked because I just find the response to an accent that what kind of people would just judge somebody just when they open their mouth? I mean, and yeah, and I, I think we have to think about what an accent really says about someone. It, it says where they grew up. It says the part of the country mm. that they grew up in. You know, there's, there's often been tensions between the north and the south of of England. I, I'm mm. from various different parts of the north of England. When I lived mm. in Leeds, we would say things about people from Manchester, etc. Et, et <laughs> um, and I think I don't think this type of discrimination is just 20 years old either. I, th- I think to an extent in, in some places it still goes on. And I think it's not just how people speak, but it's it's when you give your address on your CV um, you know, there's still some employers out there who I can envisage would make certain assumptions about what somebody was like, whether their work ethic or their connections based on their based on their address on their geography. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. On on googling that postcode and and having a look at actually what what's what's that street like, or or if you're in a smaller recruitment pool, um, like we often are here in Edinburgh, you know, people very much might look at that address and think actually that's an area that's often got quite a lot of crime. Uh, you know, I, I think people are making an assumption about your intelligence level, about your ability to learn and grow and command new information, about the usefulness you can have from a business development and networking point of view, and about your ability to thrive in a corporate environment, all based on you grew up in an area where not everybody was from a background where their their moms and dads were already doing that you know Mm. but what I always say is if you're from that background and and you have a dream of wanting to achieve something that that allows you to grow grow beyond what you've experienced so far you want that so much more than somebody's likely to want it if they've grown up with lawyer mum and lawyer dad and it's all been mm-hmm. seen as a bit of a rubber stamping exercise. You know, when I was working to become a lawyer, to me, I was trying to fight to achieve something that people had said to me, you know, here, you might not do this because it's really hard to get into. So from my perspective, it, it mattered to me more than anything. Whereas mm-hmm. I think, the students I met on my course who were from a background where maybe their mums and dads were lawyers or similar, it, it didn't matter to them in the same way. It, it wasn't this thing that they cared about more than anything. And I, I think that's something, those people who are making those assumptions from accents, I think they're doing it because they themselves haven't experienced or lived the experiences mm. that maybe have if you come from a regional background or from a working class background. But the only experience I've had of growing up uh, in said background and of meeting so many different working class people in my work is that everyone I meet, I learn so much from. And their work ethic, in my view, is is often top of the pile. Yeah, yeah. It's because I think what you you said some really important things there, and 
things about assumptions. First of all, these people who hear an accent and then have an assumption, um, uh, they're unconscious, well, it's very conscious bias. Uh, um, uh, and I think it's, I suppose it's, it's when you're, when something, as you say, is rubber stamped, when, when your expectation is that you will achieve X, Y, Z, and that you will have this, and this will be an easy rut because you've been conditioned. Your programming is to say, yeah, you'll achieve all these things. You'll go on to law school. You become a lawyer like your dad, X, Y, Z. You'll do all of that kind of stuff. People have that perception of how their life will be. And, and as you say, people who don't have an expectation or people who are who who have a dream of wanting to better themselves or or to it's not even better even that expression you know to better yourself it's kind of weird because i think you're you know it's essentially your potential i exactly. think it's about achieving your potential yeah Exactly. It's to, to to really achieve your potential, to be kind of to be beset with assumptions about who you are because of your accent, because of the way you look, because of the way you dress, because of where you're from. Uh really it's it's kind of a poisonous, <laughs> a poisonous and destructive uh malaise that is that that kind of covers everything i think in terms of that you're right it still goes on now in in terms of um in terms of employment and i know that we were talking earlier and you talked about i mean there's a few things that i'd like to talk to you about but employer assumptions you know you were saying that if if people are if people work part time uh, you know that they that they're not committed to that job, or they're not as committed as somebody who's a full time employee. Yeah, um, just in my line of work as an employment lawyer who specialises in in advising individuals, what I see a lot of the time is employers have taken steps or done things that they've felt is in the best interest to support someone but it's actually because what what underpins it is unconscious bias that's linked to assumptions mm-hmm. that they've made assumptions are always dangerous because anytime you're taking a view without communication there's the potential i think for discriminating against someone there and and yeah one of the examples i gave is someone who myself has worked four days a week since 2017 um, and my husband works four days a week too. So we're both technically inverted commas part part timers. Is they they used to very much with this assumption that if you could only do your part time hours, then surely you didn't have the reach or the ability or the want to progress within an organization. Um, you, you know, you must want to kind of stay doing less senior work. And then when you're mm. ready to come back full time, you'll want to progress. Uh, whereas actually in that respect, my own story is very much the converse um, that I've I've now been promoted three times since I went mm. 
part-time because I've found that working four days a week is a pattern that's allowed me to thrive personally and professionally. Mm. And and that's what we really want here. And it's why it's why assuming an employee wants one thing or another is dangerous because actually if you can help support someone at work in a way that allows them to thrive not only at work but within the rigors of their personal life and we all have commitments outside of work whether it's kids or elderly parents or relatives or dogs we've all got boxes we need to take outside of work mm. if if you can help someone to be their best self at work whilst also ticking those boxes at home then you have someone who's going to thrive uh, and who want to progress because they've got the ability to do so um so what i always say is don't assume because because a woman, and it is usually a woman, has got young kids, don't assume she doesn't want to be promoted. Some won't. Uh, and I've had friends who've decided to take demotions for the first few years while their kids are young. And, and that was their informed choice, and it's what they wanted mm. to do. But what's best for one person isn't best for another. The, the only way you can find out is by keeping an open line of communication mm. with that person and by really actively listening to what's best for them don't assume it don't assume lower grade role best less hours best uh, some some women and men want to come back to work full-time after having kids and that's also absolutely fine because what suits working parents is always different I think that's just a common trend I see that employers want to be supportive but they assume supportive measures will look the same for everybody and they don't yeah yeah, I think as as we also earlier said that these blanket policies that lots of uh, lots of employers have really don't serve, as you've just said, really don't serve the the employees. Yes, so a common one at the moment is a number of employers have called people back into the work on on either four days a week or a full time basis. Um, and you may or may not have seen Caroline. I did a LinkedIn post about mm. this because this is very much in my area. Um, and what I said about that is they can absolutely be strong reasons as to why you need to make sure that there's a minimum presence in the office, whether that's customer based reasons or whether it's making sure your junior staff uh, uh, have got that peer to peer in person training. But I said I found it difficult to foresee that there'd be many circumstances where working five days a week outside of retail kind of customer facing environments would mm. be necessary. And that the second you say to everybody, right, you've all got to come back to work, you're really ignoring the disproportionately like detrimental effect that will have on certain people, mm. whether it's because they have those caring responsibilities of, you know, there's a complete childcare crisis at the minute. If you've got to tweak your childcare hours, you could be on a waiting list that's 12 to 18 months long. Um, and and sometimes, you know, what, what I say to empl- employers is I say, both you and your staff ultimately want the same thing. You want people to be happy at work. You want to thrive as a business and they want to thrive personally and mm. professionally. I, I, I'm keen to understand why businesses always think that bringing people back into the office will make their office work more and harder and 
economically increase output because actually I think there's a lot of clients I've spoken to who were able to say that their output's often higher on their working from home days than it is on the days they go into the office because it reduces the time they can devote to their duties when they're doing the commuting etc mm. so I, I think it's it's avoiding this one size all one size fits all approach when you can and obviously there are occasions where you can't but it's asking yourself to strip it right back and go to what do we want to achieve and how do we best achieve that looking at the individual circumstances of those in our teams rather than maybe the easy approach of a blanket rule. Yeah, it's because really at the end of the day, you just want a high performing, happy team, really. And it's so, and it's so, from my personal experience of doing when I've been in in work where I've uh, where I've say been office work, you know, um, working for for different firms, I have noticed that there that as you say this 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 one size fits all really has no impact in terms of. In terms of that that person, you know, it's that what has it, it kind of has massive impact on the individual. But in terms of, it doesn't really have an impact on the on the on the organisation, unless you have not very many people in the office, as you were saying, you know, and you need cover in that office, etc. But but I really, you know, I think it's been shown, hasn't it? I think there've been some statistics that have shown that people work better when they're working, when they have a flexi, uh, flexible work and they can work from home and work in the office. Yeah, certainly I've seen statistics to suggest that employee satisfaction is up when flexible working's in, in place. Uh, and there's been other statistics that suggest that now over two-thirds of people when they're applying for jobs would only do so if a job advert made it clear that there was flexibility offered or mm-hmm. hybrid working offered. Um, so it appears clear that from an employee perspective, they they want this flexibility to, ch- to stay. Um, and one of the things I've always said is if we could accommodate it wholly in a global pandemic, at the request largely of employers who obviously wanted to keep going in a really difficult time, why can't we accommodate it on, on a much lesser basis to allow people's lives uh, it, from the work life and personal life to function much more effectively? Mm-hmm. And I think we also can't be blind to the other things going on across the UK now uh, from the cost of living crisis that makes it much harder to potentially be able to afford to go into work every day mm. and uh, and afford lunch provisions and stuff because with with the best will in the world I tell myself I'm going to make myself a pat lunch when I go into the office but how often have I actually done it because I'm too busy running around after my kids um so it's it's affordability as well and it, it again coming back to that availability of childcare provision mm. you know um, my husband and I have to try so that one of us is always at home because there's no has to do school drop off. And, and that is that we don't have local grandparents. So um, 
we would have to be late for work, significantly late for work to attend the office every day, mm. which which isn't in our employer's best interest or, or ours. Um, you know, what I always say to employers is nobody sets out to want to do a bad job. Nobody wants to go into work, do a bad job and go home because it's not it's not motivating for them. If you give mm. people the environment and the tools to succeed, they want to go in and feel like they've done a good job because that's yeah. rewarding. Yeah, and that involves give and take. That involves, you know, understanding commu- good communication and and uh, and some leeway rather than this, as, as we were saying, this culture of being present. The, the hours are nine to five and that's what they'll have to be. It's just, it really doesn't make much sense to me. Um, and for you and the people that come, your your clients, uh, the people that are coming to see you about discrimination at work, are, are does it, is it across the board in terms of what people are uh, approaching you with in terms of um, the cases? It is across the board, but I can often identify trends at certain times of year. And over the last 18 months, we have seen a higher volume of redundancies than normal. So I've probably had a higher volume of inquiries that have been anything from people feeling unfairly selected for redundancy to people being singled out for redundancy for some of the reasons we've discussed because they've felt they've been singled out because they recently had a pregnancy or or a maternity leave or because they work part-time or because they require more flexibility than maybe mm. their colleagues do. So they felt like they've been perceived as the weakest link. What I would say is in common with people who contact me is the vast majority of them always contact me later than they probably should have. And that goes Mm. back to what we were talking about before we started recording when I said, ultimately, most of my clients don't want to pursue any action against their employer or or even have a lawyer's letter sent to their, their employer. They do it as an absolute tool of last resort because they've been repeating the same message over and over and they haven't been heard mm. um they've often raised a grievance by themselves first and and what again I always say to employers is there's very few individual employees I've met over the last seven years of specializing advising them who have just said to me I, I just love raising grievances I just like complaining <laughs> you know I, I just absolutely love sitting down and writing a 14 page letter about what's oh. wrong with my workplace you know uh, pe- people only go to that point because they feel like they've been pushed yeah beyond the point of no return where they're worried that if they're when my clients raise grievances, they're worried that if they stay silent, something worse will happen. Mm. That's why they're raising it. Um, so I I think what I see is very much, as you said, a lot of it can be boiled down to poor communication yeah. of giving giving employees the ability to be heard and be heard often and employers engaging in inactive listening where they're really truly hearing people and and the need for an attitude shift about 
how how we are working more flexibly now and how that isn't people working less, it's people working differently. Yeah, I think that's really important, you know, people working differently because I, for one, if I'm working at home, will, if I'm doing a kind of an office job, if I'm working from home, I'll often work longer with less breaks and throughout the day than I would if I was actually in the office. Um, and I think, yeah. And I think people understanding it, employers understanding, having this, as you say, this, this perception that, that, it's been so enshrined with employment is so enshrined in this. We go, everybody does the same thing. We go in at this time. We all leave at that time. Everybody has the same breaks. And as you say, it's, it's tearing down or well, not tearing down so much, but, but adjusting that view, adjusting that idea as we've been saying, of everybody has to do the same thing to work effectively, to work at the because it's just nonsense. It is nonsense. It's it's the whole thing with also with school. I mean, it starts, I think, in school. This kind of when we institutionalize, we become used to institutionalized behavior. So yeah. Uh, and then become labeled. You know, in school, if if a child isn't particularly uh present in a class for example, they will then be labelled as the child who, you know, doesn't pay attention. And and then that will then continue <laughs> through. This is the scary thing that continues throughout their education and continue. They label themselves because we see people, we see ourselves through the prism of how others see us, you know, and it's very difficult, yeah. I think, to shift that um to shift those ideas about about how we how we're supposed to be how we're supposed to act within an institu- an educational institution within the the institution of employment within you know within the, the within uh hospitals etc we're supposed to act in a particular way and i just and and hearing you talk really makes me think wow we've got so much we've got so much to do to try and shift those those ideas those perceived kind of uh ways of thinking that that aren't that it's not that they're particularly wrong it's that just they're not right for everyone yeah, and I think it's about acknowledging as a workplace that you, if you have quite rigid structures and hours and needs in place, that there's going to be a huge category of people who aren't going to be able to work for you. Mm-hmm. And it's about thinking whether you want to exclude those people because a lot of working parents um wouldn't be able to work amongst those rigid structures currently a lot of people who had underlying medical conditions wouldn't necessarily be able to work in that type of environment and the reality is um and law used to be one of the worst for it with this very rigid culture of presenteeism and i saw it a lot when i was training and as a junior lawyer 
um, right down from, I still remember, and I won't say which of my former employers it was, that I once asked to leave work 50 minutes early on a Friday so that I could get a train. And I was told that if I wanted to do that, I had to take half half a day off when I kind of regularly worked till between half six and half seven at night. But you ask for flexibility the other way and it was declined. And, and you know, this was an, a number of years ago now. We're talking about over 10 years ago now and the profession is definitely evolving. But it used to be one of the worst. And that's why previously when you looked at statistics in the legal profession, and it's still not great, but it's improving, you would often have about half of lawyers who became trainee solicitors were women and half were men. But then you looked at a senior level and you looked mm. at your partners and, and women were still very much underrepresented, um, as are ethnic minorities in the legal mm. profession for very similar reasons. Uh, and what we do see in workplaces is when you offer more flexibility it seems to help that underrepresentation. And once you have a workplace that is more diverse, it allows your thinking to be more collective. You know, so arguably that that is better for the business and better for the individuals. Yeah, completely, completely better for the business to have much more diversity and to 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 be able to listen to your employees as well. Um, yeah, I think I think what you said there earlier about um, that example of saying, "Could I leave fifteen minutes earlier?" Um, I've I've had I've come up against that before, and and when I've pointed out, well, look, you know, I do I never leave early. I've I've worked late. You know, people will say, "Well, that's your choice," <laughs> and and you're like, okay. <laughs> Um, so as you know, it's that thing where you say, actually, it's it's all just one way traffic because then that that makes you kind of go, well, look, okay, no favors from me anymore. You know, it's that it's that exactly. It's like they're asking you to work to rule. And what I always say to my clients is, I see the employment relationship as as like any relationship. Mm. And if you're in a serious personal relationship or a marriage, and if you did everything for the other person, but they do very little for you, that's not a very rewarding or happy relationship <laughs> to be in. Um, you know, a, a rewarding and happy employment relationship is where you work hard and achieve things that assist your employer uh, in mm. achieving its objectives. But similarly, when, when you need uh, to do things that are unavoidable, your employer has your back. Mm. Um, you know, my my boss didn't mind at all when I had to go to sports day the other day for an hour and a half at, at lunch. He didn't say, oh, you've got to book half a day off because nobody wants to use half a day's holiday to watch six-year-old children run tiny races. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Although as 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 uh, rewarding as that might be. But yeah, as rewarding <laughs> as it is. Yeah. She got two seconds of the third. She was ecstatic. Way um, fantastic. But um, so before we thank you so much because talking to you has really opened up. I think for me, and hopefully for the listeners, has opened up a way of 
of looking at people in work that we don't really, because we are so institutionalized generally, you know, we, and we accept things without question. Um, when we should question those things and question whether that those things make us happy, whether we can work effectively to, to uh, you know, um, the, the rules and regulations of our, uh, of our jobs and whether we have a good relationship and a good, good lines of communi- open communication with our, with our bosses. But um, yeah, it's really, it's really kind of, concretized and um and opened up for me some more of those um issues around uh having a, a having a content and uh fulfilled workforce you know which i don't think i think in theory i think a lot of employers in theory say oh well our work you know we want to listen to people our workforce is this our workforce is that and, and they don't um uh but but what you've been saying here today has been really really informative Haley thank you um and before before we sort of finish we would when we talked earlier uh, you mentioned well you 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 outlined what made you I know we're going back to the beginning now but it's just yeah. such a wonderful thing but what made you initially want to study law and what made you initially take that step yeah no I almost think it's a good place to finish because it feeds into what Mm. I was going to kind of give as my top thoughts to leave people with um I was a huge still am a huge Leeds United fan it's a difficult road it involves a lot of heartache (laughs) and when I grew up therefore I went to the football a lot and following the journey of the Hillsborough disaster victims fighting for justice was a cause very much close to my heart, even though I I wasn't myself there or from Liverpool, because as somebody working class who went to the football most weeks, you very much felt like it could have been any of us. And what struck me as I saw how far, how hard they had to work for justice is a lot of it came down to them not being listened to for Mm. a significant period of time by institutions, by lawyers, by barristers, because it was almost like their opinion on how they felt was worth less because they, they were working class people of Liverpool largely who were speaking in a different language to, to maybe the institutions, the lawyers and the police who were trying to stand against them when they should have been working with them uh, for solutions and I it was one particular interview in a documentary uh, covering one Hillsborough affected individual whose whose life support machine ended up being turned off and his case was litigated where the individual said that she just wished that she'd had lawyers she could speak to who understood what she'd been through and who understood where she was from and how she felt and I think it just made me feel like it wasn't fair that if people us people from working class backgrounds if we had something horrible or a challenge happen to us why shouldn't we be able to get legal advice from somebody who could be empathetic about mm-hmm. who we were and where we we're from rather than talk down to us. And I always felt 
and still do feel like the best way to resolve any form of conflict is by demonstrating that empathy and understanding mm. where both parties are coming from. So I I decided I was I was eleven or twelve at the time, and I decided that was it. I was going to be a lawyer, but I was going to be a lawyer um, for good. Who mm-hmm. spent my time listening to those who maybe hadn't felt like they'd been heard by others? Yeah, that's that's a fantastic. That's fantastic. What what? But but that's it. It's something that was really powerful struck a chord so deeply in you to to that make that your life's work to be the voice of people that didn't that don't really have a. Or, or, or whose voices have been ignored. You know, it's incredible. It's an incredible thing. Thank you. Sorry, you were going to say something. Um, yeah, Caroline, I just I just wanted to say, I guess that's all I wanted to leave people with is my own experience of all of it and, and why it did strike that chord with me is that I believed I can and could make a difference. And I hope I already have to some extent, but I certainly hope that difference gets bigger over time. Um, but... I've I've experienced that life's very much too short to do a job you don't like. So my main message I'd leave I'd leave everyone with is if you're in a job and you hate it and it doesn't fulfill you and you don't like it and you don't get up on a Monday morning and want to do it, life's too short to feel that way. And, and there will be a role out there that's not going to make you feel like that. Because a huge part of my work is people ringing me who feel like that and I help get them out of one place and then I watch them grow and shine somewhere else and and the second thing I wanted to say is on the communication piece with your employer mm-hmm. it, it works both ways don't expect your employer to kind of open up and tell you everything if you mm-hmm. haven't been open with them mm-hmm. that they're, they're also not psychic so if you are feeling stressed depressed or your personal circumstances are impacting on how you can do your role at work at the minute I always say to my clients I know it's difficult to bring that part of you into work but if you can sit down with your manager or any anybody you trust and can find in them that's the only way of making this move on and better here Mm. and and sometimes it is the employee that has to encourage that greater culture of openness and if they do that you would hope that a similar response will come back and if it doesn't maybe that's nature's way of telling you you're in you're in the wrong Mm. workplace right now and you thrive more somewhere else Mm. I think also it's I think also I'd say that that we shouldn't be afraid to ask for what we want. I think um, I think a lot of people do have um, a fear about asking for what they want, you know, and that they will. You're right there. Rather than rather than being open and transparent, and also saying asking for what they want and what they don't want, <laughs> you know, it's having that open dialogue and being able to say, actually, I, you know, I can't cope. Um, or at right at the start, I'm prepared to, to not I'm prepared, but you know, I, I would really like this because you can only ask. And I think a lot of the time people yeah. are too afraid to actually even ask for what they want because they fear against rejection. Um, and also uh, this, this idea, this institutionalized thinking that you'll, you'll be seen as unreasonable um, or that, 
uh, or that somehow it's not done. It's not acceptable to to do that, to ask for, for, for what you need, you know, yeah. yeah, and interestingly, what I see from my clients, particularly when they're negotiating at job offer stage, is I think male clients feel more confident to ask for what they want and need when they're negotiating the terms of any job offer. But a lot of female clients I speak to have never negotiated the terms of a job offer. They they didn't realize that that was a thing, and they, they've just felt happy to be offered the role and therefore they've been like I would have liked to ask for flexible working I would have liked to ask four days but what I'm going to do is get get in the organization prove myself in the first three to six months and then I'll look at that whereas Mm -hmm. I guess what I would say is it's like anything if you're uh, and we're talking about how I, I see the employment relationship as like any form of personal relationship if if you are dating someone, but you really want children, but you're mm. scared to say you want children, so you date them for three, four years without saying you want children, that that could end, you know, that could actually just end up ending in a huge heartache if you're not mm. on the same page. The best the best time to bottom out if you're on the same page with an employer about what you both want is when that job offer comes through. You know, Mm -hmm. that's when my view is you very much can be like, this is the type of hybrid working I want. This is the type of flexible working I want. This is the type of hours I want. Um, And and in return, this is the type of person I'm going to be for you. And if they turn around and Mm -hmm. accommodate that, that tells you a lot about them and the kind of organization they are. And if they turn around and act in in a less favorable way as a lot uh, as a result of that then arguably that shows you is this really a place I I want to work Mm. for so I I guess I'd encourage people to be open from the outset I Mm. I certainly was with my boss who hired me when I was pregnant um, mm. And and when he spoke to me to have an initial conversation, my way of disclosing it to him in the Teams meeting was just to stand up because I was six <laughs> months pregnant. I just stood up and I was like, just so you know. Um, and and ultimately, disclosing it like that could have gone a number of different ways. Um, but how he responded to that and how the firm responded to that was part of what told me it was the right place for me. To yeah. Be. Yeah. Yeah. That really, you've just really hit the nail on the head because you've got to feel that you've got to have, you've got to, I suppose, embrace the unknown, but, and, and, and by asking for what you want or by, by being honest, you know, you can only be honest. And if, as you say, if you see how your employer reacts, if they react kind of favorably, then yeah, fantastic. It's fun. It's, it's, you you know, it's a kind of a match made in heaven. And if they don't react favorably, then, you know, it's not going to get better. Is it? It's not, you know, you're going to take the job and then, Oh yeah, they didn't react favorably to that. And I'm just going to continue. It doesn't work that way really. Um, um, it's funny when when you were talking there also about the difference between men and women. I think a lot of women will always a lot of women will um they won't apply for a job if they don't feel that they have that they have all the the uh, criteria that is required, you know. That's um right. I think this Whereas apparently sixty sixty 60% of men do. I read, I, there was a stat on this out just the other day and it, it yeah. was 60% of men will apply for a job even if they don't have all the essential 
criteria. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, the proportion of of women is is much lower. Um, you, you know, and and there is more research in this area now, and and there's the lean in movement, and I think women are starting to realise that we've got to kind of support and empower each other a bit more to have more confidence in ourselves. Um, but what you, you know, what I'd say to people is, if if you want a job, and when I moved to Scotland, um, I, and for some reason this has always been my piece, I you have already been able to tell I'm I'm incredibly authentic in that I just say it as I see it, and I think mm. part of that is the the in me. And when I wanted to qualify as an employment lawyer, it was the two thousand and eight financial uh, my Gosh. beloved leads and said football team um which you know was a huge pain to me but what I did I had a number of options then I could have given up and that stage I could have given up I could have said no I can't be an employment lawyer there's no jo- jobs but I got a list of law firms that I felt were doing the type of work I wanted to do they were doing discrimination employment tribunal litigation and and I wrote to each of them about why they should hire me um and obviously one in edinburgh wanted to meet me as did a number of others but i came up to edinburgh for an interview hell of a long way from leeds i hadn't worked up here before i didn't know anyone up here other than my great aunt and uncle who (laughs) were in their late 80s um, and I, I took the job and, and they took a chance on me because they felt that my approach, that level of enthusiasm and commitment to wanting me mm-hmm. uh, to, to thrive in employment law to them said a lot to them. So what I'd always say to people is if you want to achieve a certain dream, then you've got to be the person who believes in yourself the most. And you've also not got to be afraid, as we've said, of, of saying what you want and need to thrive in a working environment. But you've also not got to be afraid to explain to any interviewer or person you're contacting why you genuinely think you'd be the best for the job. Uh, and rather than let kind of those obstacles in your way of people ignoring you or, or, or saying no, getting you down, you should more, I used to credit that in my head of, if if they're not interested in who I am and what I do, then that's not an environment that I would thrive in anyway. So mm. it's best that I don't work there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, Haley, that is so. What you said also is just really inspirational. I think we just need to remind ourselves that actually we are allowed things. We're allowed to be happy in our work. We're allowed to do a job that we really like on our terms. We're allowed those things, I think. And, you you know, you've proved it. And uh, you're assisting people with that. And if people would like to, I know, it's, you know, people would like to contact you, but if 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 people are, aren't at that stage and would like to have a conversation with you, where can people contact you? I mean, I will add all your contact details in the show notes. Um, and where people can find you if they have any issues. But where where can you, can yeah. you let so, us know all your details? 
Of, of course. So I'm I'm a legal director at Morton Fraser Solicitors. We've got offices throughout Scotland, but my clients are dotted about throughout the whole of the UK. In fact, I'm currently working with more people in London than I am people who live in Scotland. And I'm always happy to speak to people for an, an initial free, no obligation, 10 minute chat to see if there's any way that I can help them. My direct line is 0131. 247 1212. That's 0131 247 1212. Um, and my email address is Haley, H A Y L E Y dot Johnson, J O H N S O N at Morton Fraser.com. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hopefully, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of it, I don't want to say loads of people be contacting you, but if people, you know, if people feel that they that they need to. Thank you so much for those details. And thank you again also just for taking the time to have this conversation. And also it's been really inspiring listening to you because you're evidently and obviously a no bullshit person who gets who goes for things and feels that you, and as you say, believes in yourself and feels that you deserve those things. Cause this is one of the things I think really we have to, 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 to grab hold of something. We have to actually, first of all, believe that we deserve it in the first place. Um, and it's, it's so great that, as you say, you've talked about moving people forward and seeing people flourish in work once they've left that sort of limiting belief behind them and left that toxic yeah. work practice behind them. Um, and so, yeah, yeah it's, it's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and hopefully you'll well, come thanks, back. Caroline. Yeah, no, it's been great. Definitely. Always, always happy to. Yeah. Always happy to come back and, and and certainly don't belittle what you're doing yourself in having a perception podcast where people can come on to help you challenge those perceptions because it's certainly a cause I'm equally as passionate about. So it's great yeah. to see the work you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. Well, this is it. I just I just hope that that the wonderful listeners out there thank you for listening. Um and I hope that this does shift people's perceptions around about any aspect of their life. And work is a massive aspect of everybody's life. Um, and working, working, being fulfilled in your work, I think, is just so important. And I know in the kind of line of work that I've done, I've done, man, I've done so many jobs, um, varying jobs, different kinds of work and been really happy in some jobs and not so happy in others. But what you've said today is quite, it's great because it's rooted me back into kind of going, actually, what do I want? I'm going to, I'm going to ask yeah. for what I want. That's you know. where you should start. Do you know, yeah. it's so funny you said that because, you know, when people have that 10 minute chat, with me it's yeah. my first question it's it's my first question they, they think my first question is going to be tell me what went wrong tell me my very first question is always tell me what you want yeah and they're yeah. thrown by that question but it's because I can't advise them I can't advise them on the route to drive if I don't know where they're going to and so you're not even at a stage where you can seek advice or support from anyone else until you've worked that out yourself Exactly. Exactly. Perfect. That is perfect. And I and I think on that and that point, we should we should that that neatly ties everything up because it's once you know what you want, you can go and get it. 
100%. Yeah, you can go and get it. Wow, what a brilliant conversation. Thank you, Hayley. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. It's been really fantastic talking to you. Um, Hopefully we'll get you back again and have another conversation. Um, And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please like and follow and share. Share with people that you think will gain something from this. Share with everyone. Share, share, share. (laughs) And subscribe. And let me know what you think. And uh, I will speak to you again on next week's episode of the Perception Podcast. Bye. Bye.